Welcome back to Brailcast, connecting the dots for blind people everywhere. And coming up this month... I mean, I, I, I think comparing Braille and audio is comparing apples and oranges. I mean, the, the experience of reading Braille is like seeing, and the experience of using audio is like hearing. Braille, more Braille, and the world's largest collection of slates and styluses. Judy Dixon is something of a Braille icon. She is Consumer Relations Officer at the National Library Service for the Blind and Print Disabled, part of the Library of Congress in the United States, President of the International Council on English Braille, and has written a myriad of books for National Braille Press relating to Braille and assistive technology. She also owns what is widely considered to be the largest collection of Braille slates and styluses, containing over 280 unique designs. On Friday the 7th of August 2020, the Braillists Foundation joined the dots on Judy's incredible story as part of its series of Stay Safe, Stay Connected calls. This episode of Braillecast is a slightly abridged archive of that call, and we started by asking Judy to tell us more about her work with NLS. Yes, I do work at the National Library Service. We've recently changed our name. We're now the National Library Service for the Blind and Print Disabled. And I have been there since 1981, and I am now currently the Consumer Relations Officer. And I do all kinds of things, <laughs> and, uh, having to do, I'm involved with projects having to do with the users of the service. And right now, um, almost all of my time is taken with our Braille e-reader project, which I can say a bit more about. But um, I also deal with, don't, we don't have too many complaints because most of our complaints go to our local library. But if someone is so dreadfully upset with their local library that they want to talk to somebody in the national office, I might, it, it might come to me, but that doesn't happen a great deal. But mostly I'm, I work on, on different projects having to do with that directly relate to users. Right, and, and specifically Braille-related projects. You mentioned the Braille e-reader there. Do you want to just sort of summarize that, that project for us? Sure. The National Library Service is in the process of developing an e-reader, which it will loan to its, we, we call them patrons, its patrons um, for as long as they want to use it. We're designing a 20-cell, 8-dot Braille display that has um, Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. It can go directly onto our Braille book download system, and or it can connect to an iDevice or a computer, or it can connect via Bluetooth or USB. So it's meant to be a device that people can use for reading a Braille book in, from, from many different sources in many different ways. We're just about to start our pilot test with the first 2,000 units. So in the UK, RNIB operates a hard copy Braille lending library, and we're currently in the process of introducing electronic Braille as an option for library members. So you can download electronic Braille files to your device, or <clears throat> you can receive books on SD card. And I think, you know, we're coming up toward 
um, something like a thousand books in the electronic collection and, and many more hard copy. We often hear in the UK that the number of people actively reading Braille is very, very small, a very small fraction of uh, the overall kind of population of blind and partially sighted people. I don't know that we've got any really rigorous studies of what that number actually is. Is it a similar picture in the, in the US? It is. We, we certainly hear often that not that many people read Braille. And I think to some degree, even those who read Braille previously aren't reading so much of it anymore because the whole process of managing a paper Braille book has become a lot more difficult. Our postal service in the U.S. has deteriorated dramatically over the years. And at one time, it was easy to receive a book and mail it back. Now that's very difficult for most people. So that's one of the reasons why a lot of Braille readers aren't using Braille from the library. We set up the Braillist Foundation and started the Braillecast podcast really to promote Braille and our mission. You know, we went round and round in circles for a very long time trying to identify what our, our mission was. And we, we managed to distill it recently. And that is more Braille, simply just more Braille for all sorts of reasons. What would you say to people as your number one reason for being passionate about Braille? Why should people bother with Braille? It's so different. I mean, I, I, I think comparing Braille and audio is comparing apples and oranges. I mean, the, the experience of reading Braille is like seeing. And the experience of using audio is like hearing. You're also involved with the International Council on English Braille, who have specified the rules for unified English Braille, which is the Braille code that we use in the UK and you use in, in the US. Can you talk a little bit about your, your role about ICEB? Yes, I have been involved for quite some years when I, I went to my first ICEB General Assembly in 2008, but uh, and I've since then been secretary in various things and um, my current situation is that I'm going to be running for ICEB's president at the next general assembly and so far I haven't heard that anyone is running against me but I, I'm hoping that I will be elected president because I'm looking forward to leading the organization at least for the next four years. You're also a published author. You've written a number of books. Some might describe them as kind of like self-help books or how-to kind of books, but they're written from a blind perspective. Do you want to just tell us what's available, where people can get them? Yes, they're all available from the National Braille Press. Um, most, well, all of them in electronic BRF, all of them in hard copy Braille are the ones that are still in print. Uh, some of them are not. And... Uh, they, I wrote the first one in 2008, and that was on labeling with Braille. And I have just finished, within the last week actually, I've finished a complete rewrite of the labeling book. And this edition has a lot more in it about, you know, using your iPhone to uh, identify items. I. In, in 2008, I don't know how we found out what things were, 
but we you know the other the labeling was was not a great deal more than you know stick a piece of uh, labeling tape on it and you know what it was and now it's so such a different process because we have so many ways to actually find out independently what an item is and i'm thinking of you know grocery items that sort of thing now we can find out ourselves by either using a scanning app or using a barcode reading app or something and then we can sometimes not even have to label it especially if it's something that isn't going to stay around a long time so there i've completely redone the labeling book with all the modern uh, and i talk about uh, you know making your own qr codes if you if you don't want to uh, you know go the pen friend way and and that sort of thing so there's a lot of audio related labeling stuff in there as well and um another book that was very popular that i've also just finished a one a complete rewrite of is um in 2014 national bio press published my book called get the picture and it was a book about photography for blind people what does a blind person need to think about when taking a picture and in the 2014 one there were a lot of apps that we needed to use the iPhone's camera to be able to be successful with those apps and this particular edition that I just finished in it just it's now available so I finished it in March I think and now it's not so much about apps because I mean we're we're kind of all aware of many of the apps that are available but this book is much more about the camera app and the photos app and amazing features and and the accessibility features that are in those apps it's really possible with the automatic editing features i mean the iphone knows how to straighten a picture for you you can you can crop a picture it it can it can auto crop and do lots of things automatically so it's really quite impressive you can make your own pictures look look much better than uh, you you ever knew and i just put your name into the national braille press website and i got 19 results <laughs> <laughs> is that sound about right oh it's it's close yes i think yeah, yeah. about right <laughs> so so if people want to check out your work then then uh, nbp.org and uh, most put, of them have to yeah. in one way or another something to do with the iphone Sure. Okay. So coming back to Braille then, your collection of 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 what you would call slates and let's call them slates but we in the UK might might People refer to frames as or yeah, frames or... writing frames. Um so many so, actually so many of them are from the UK it probably ought to be called right. frames. And so I just want to I just want to back right up on this because I wouldn't want to assume that you know in the world now where you know we we talk about braille displays and and you know I figure most people will know what a perkins is but in the UK we discovered that actually blind kids are not taught to use hand frame and so when we go to conferences and and exhibitions we we sometimes take a little box of slates with us and they become a little bit of a of a curio you know people come along by the the booth and they they pick up a a hand frame and they go well what's this because they've not seen it before and oh. these are people who who live and you know they oh. they read and write braille so do you want to just give us the very very basics and then 
sort of lead into your collection and, and how you got going with that? Well, the very basics are that a, that a hand frame is a way for a blind person to write Braille with a device that is usually very small, very convenient, doesn't require batteries, doesn't require maintenance, doesn't, uh, can be used quickly, and you can immediately read what you wrote. Usually involves some kind of a two-part flat object with, uh, with a stylus. There are aspects of writing with a hand frame that uh, some blind people find off-putting, which, depending on one's teacher, I suspect, is a bigger deal or a lesser deal, depending on uh, how you were taught. But I persist in speaking about them without saying the B word, and I don't mean Braille. I mean the backward word, because some people like to say, well, you have to write backwards, and you don't write backwards. You write from right to left, but you still write the first half of the cell first and the second half of the cell second. And just depending on how you're able to twist your brain around Braille writing, I don't think it feels like I'm writing backwards. I'm just writing from right to left. But currently, and I actually looked this up this morning, um, there are 282 unique slates in the collection. And I say unique because there's actually more like probably five or 600 because I have just a lot of duplicates and so forth. But that's how many unique slates from 38 countries. There is a small subset of slates from Spain that are probably from about the 1860s. But other than that, most of them are from the heyday of slates, which would be the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. I do have lots from, from the UK. A bookkeeping frame. It's a wonderful four-line thing where the, the columns are arranged so that one can write numbers. I mean, you know, like a spreadsheet. I have a, some, several margin guides. And what did they call it? The Tyler Tatlo frame, I think they called it. It was an 11-line, 26-cell micro braille slate. Absolutely wonderful. And uh, lots of nice boards with um, those two-line, um, very heavy slates. How did you end up with 282 unique frames? Um, I, I started young, fortunately. Um, when I started working at the National Library Service, which I started in 1981, and uh, I saw an international catalog of things and uh, it listed some different slates, and they sounded really interesting. Like, I, 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 in those days, I really thought a full-page slate would just be a fabulous thing to use. And so I started writing to some of these places, trying to buy things from overseas. And I traveled overseas a fair bit in those days. And uh, so I just started acquiring them. And by, by 1983, I think I had close to 100. So I really worked hard at it the first few years. And then there was another gentleman who was a slate collector. He had more, more older American ones where I had a lot more new foreign ones. So we started actively trading. And we, for 10 years or so, we, we traded slates regularly. And um, when he passed away in 2001, 
I got um, quite a number of his slates from his collection. So that helped. And my friend, um, I was very good friends in, well, still am, but very good friends with um, a gentleman named Pedro Zorita from Spain. And he worked for the World Blind Union. So he also got slates for me on his travels. So it just grew over the years. And I have, I've cataloged it. There's actually a website, um, railslates.org, where uh, they're not all, there's not photographs of all of them, but they are all listed there. And uh, I just put up a photo of my very newest slate, which I bought a couple of weeks ago. And this is the coolest thing. It is called a Versa slate. And it is four lines of 20 cells, but it's, um, it's a paperless slate. So if you write on it, it has an integrated stylus that, that clips into one end of it. And uh, if you write on it, you can then turn the slate over and read the Braille on the other side. And the uh -huh. Braille looks gorgeous. It looks like, uh, looks like Braille you'd get it on, on a nice Braille display. Wow. It's really I, fun. So I keep it by my, my computer here. And if I think of something and I don't want to stop and open a note in notepad or sometimes I write notes right in the middle of my documents, but I don't want to do that. I just reach over and make a note with this thing and I can look at it later and see what I had on my mind. Which one's your favorite then? Right now, I'm very enamored with this new uh, yeah. pa paperless one. I think. It's from Korea, by the way. I want to say a little bit more about it. It's from Korea from a company called Overflow Biz. Um, I wonder if I've seen them at CSUN. Or yeah, something. you probably have. I saw it yeah. at CSUN. And this, yeah. this looks a lot different from the slate they were showing at CSUN because they've, they've refined it before they actually made it. It was quite a lot bigger, um, the one they, they were showing. And, uh, but they finally actually have come out with a product. I didn't. I, I, I'm a cynic, really. But I didn't think they would because I think they, I figured they would but suddenly decide it was all just too expensive to do. One of the things I do on the website is there's this, I call it kind of a special exhibit, but it's been there for 20 years. But it's, um, uh, I look at some of the features of slates that have made them either easier to use, faster to use, cheaper to produce. Um, for example, uh, this, most of the slates that you and I familiar with that were man manufactured either in the UK or in the US use something called a curled hinge so the metal is actually curled at the end and in the top and bottom and then the a hinge is created that way that's a really expensive way to do it and there are slates from countries where they do things like put a piece of what I, I don't know what you call masking tape, but anyway, tape, heavy, heavy tape on the end of the slate and just have two flat pieces that are connected by a piece of tape. And it's, it's um, a significantly cheaper way to make a slate. It's not, it, not going to hold up very long, but you, know, you can always add new tape. The slate, as you said, you know, you've got some that date back to the 1860s. So you know, 160 years nearly of slate and stylus. What's the role of the slate in the in 21st century? I mean, you said there, Judy, you keep one by your computer and you actually find that more convenient for making a note than opening up notepad. That's presumably because you've had years and years of practice. So I'm guessing you're pretty 
proficient for somebody who's not used a slate or is, is sort of fairly new or can just about muddle through. I mean, I, I use them for jotting down on taxi receipts. So if I get a receipt when I have a taxi, you know, and, and I know the amount, I write the amount on the receipt. So then when I find it later in my wallet, I know, oh yeah, that's a receipt for, you know, £5.60 or whatever it was. What's the role of, of the slate? Why should people, but I mean, I assume that's you, a good you, question. you're enthusiastic I... about it. When I was in, in secondary school, I actually, used, I took notes with a slate. I did in college as well, because we didn't have real displays yet then. And uh, I mean, now, I, of course, no one's going to do that. And I, I don't, and I don't even think they should. I mean, as, as much of a slate person as I am. But it's still very convenient to keep one in your bag. And if somebody's going to tell you something like a phone number or some piece of information that you're, you know, somebody's email address, especially something you're going to need pretty quickly to to look at again, then it could be very convenient. I mean, I, you know, do we many of us do have note takers that we can just whip out and write something down whenever we wish, but but a lot of people don't. Uh, I'm going to bring uh, Ben in, who is our host this evening. So Ben. No one quite yet, but I'm, uh, I'm sure we'll get some people soon. Uh, there's uh, Oh, there we go. Just uh, James Bowden's just hands just gone straight oh, right. up. right. So we've got a few now. So yeah. we're going to go to James <laughs> and then we're going to go to Mel. Um, I, I, Dave, I, do, I am one of those people who does have more than three frames. Yeah. But I cannot at all match Judy with hundreds and hundreds but how many people do you know with, with more than three, James? Uh, not very many, but I'm No, that's them. the point, isn't it? But I'm yeah. one of them. Um, I use my slate for labelling post. Um, so if you've got an envelope which I need to keep, then uh, just stick it in the hand frame, braille away, two lines, off you go, job done. Yep. And so you would you would suggest that people uh, learn get get a slate, James, and have one kicking around because it's obviously it's low cost. It doesn't use batteries. Uh, you're not reliant on the Wi-Fi or a disc corrupting or anything like that. That's right. Um, That's many right. of the American ones have slots for labeling tape. You can use them for right. You can get quite precise with the, where you're labeling something. For the Dymo tape, yes. Yeah. Um, yes. I think we've got one in the UK as well. Uh, was it the Braille King frame that had the slots in the side? Oh, did that have? Does that have slots? Yeah, I have yeah, yeah. a couple of those somewhere. I've got, I've got a little pocket King frame. It's four lines by. I think oh, it's fifteen. Yeah. Yes. Uh, plastic, and the interesting thing about the the King frame is rather than punching dots onto the reverse side of the paper, it has a hollow stylus, so you actually produce dots on the front side of the paper. Do you find that very successful? Not personally, no. Um, my, my favourite slate is an eight line by 18 one made of aluminium, I think, with one of those rolled hinges that you mentioned. Yeah. Mm, yes. and I've, I've had it for years and it stood the test of time and it's just great. That size is a convenient one. And my, my least favourite um, frame is a plastic thing Four lines, I think it's 25 cells or maybe 28, but it's got this horrible plastic hinge that when you ah, open it, it creaks alarmingly and you think it's going to break. That was made by the American printing house in Louisville. Was it? Oh dear, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> 
Sorry, very likely. Na- na- very name likely. that slate. There's a game there, isn't there? That only Judy could win. <laughs> that only Judy you describe the slate. Yeah, yeah. And I and I also have a a, a slate. Um, so one of the board ones that you mentioned, where you have a very heavy brass. Oh yes. Uh, hinged, uh, two line thing that you slide up and down. Yep. Um, and I've got a, a standard size braille and the jumbo braille version of it. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was it was unique. It was on offer. It was going, going, gone. So I thought I'll buy it. We're going to come to Mel in a second. Um, James, did you teach yourself or did somebody? I did. I, I think I had one lesson when I was a child saying, this is what a hand frame is. Um, and, you know, practice doing a few cells and so on. Of course, that sort of age, you're hopelessly slow at doing things like that. And, of course, the Perkins was around. And the Perkins is what I used for most of it. Um, it was when I was a teenager, I thought, Do you know what? I've got this frame. It's been given to me. I ought to learn how to use it a bit more effectively. Uh, and so I did. I deliberately wrote out the instructions for a game on it, um, but deliberately because it was a small frame and the instructions, the pages would actually fit into the box of the game. Uh, and that's basically what kind of caught me. And what would you, what would, would, have you got any tips? Uh, say, it's, you know, people might not have heard about slates before, or maybe after this conversation, they're thinking, actually, that sounds like a good idea. I'm going to go and buy one and, and, and start. Is there a... Well, I, my, my, my special tip will have to be um, grade three. Uh, but that's another whole subject in its own right. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, no, yeah. I'll tell you the story. I went to Australia to visit my relatives uh, back in the late 90s. And back then, I didn't have any of these um, fancy Braille displays, with note takers, expensive things. Anyway, if I did, I would think twice about taking £4,000 worth of equipment on an aeroplane. Um, so I just took the hand frame, the trusty eight line by 18 cell, and a, a wad of paper. And I wrote one page per day as a little diary. And, yeah. uh, you know, it was wonderful fun trying to decode it afterwards, but it, it worked. Brilliant. Okay. Thanks, James. Really good to hear you. And uh, thanks for joining uh, this evening. And I know that, that you and Judy, in the interest of full disclosure, you've, you've worked together previously, I think. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> on various committees and so on. So uh, let's go to Mel and Ben. Who's coming after Mel? Uh, off that, we're going to go to Jessica Beale. I know we've got okay, quite a few Jessica. hands raised, but we are going to uh, yeah, get to you Okay, so sure. stand by, Jess. We'll come to you after Mel. Mel? Yeah. I, I just had a question, really, because originally I was going to come down and guide for the ICEB conference, and I noticed that you were putting a call out for exhibitors to um, do 10-minute posters, and I was just interested, really, in what kind of exhibitors you normally have at the conference. So this would be a historical question, I suppose, because things are probably going to be a little bit different this year with it all going online. Uh, but Judy, do you want to just tell people a we've bit about only, the, the We've only actually done exhibitors for one conference, and that was the one in 2016. And what it really turned out to be was um, our members and what they are doing with regard to Braille, you know, different projects. Um, what New Zealand showed uh, something with cards with the names of animals that kids could collect and match up somehow and um and australia had a wonderful exhibit of 3d printed things 
and and that was really very exciting because 3D printing was just becoming popular then. So it's 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 been really just our member countries and and the special projects that they're doing that that they want to show the rest of us. Yeah, it sounds simple, but it's no, very. I don't know what it would have been this year. I wish we had had a chance to see it. But yeah. We'll wait for 2024. Jess, we're going to come to you uh, next and then following Jess. We're going to be going uh, to Ed Rogers. I just wanted to ask, um, because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm relatively new to using the frame. I've just got one of the um, the little ones and um, I've, I've found it quite difficult to, to get the hang of it um mainly because of you know this whole sort of that you do the writing backwards and it was interesting what you were saying earlier about that you don't think of it as writing backwards so i just wondered if you could maybe talk a little bit more about sort of getting started and that whole thought process of how because it, i've sort of been trying to think of the letters and then transfer it into the reverse and then do it in the frame yeah, and if there's sort of another way of thinking about it that would that be really might... helpful that might be making it a little more difficult for yourself than it possibly needs to be. Um, just the fact that you're just going from the right right to the left, you don't need to think about that, you just do it. And think about the fact that if you're going to write, let's say a, a D, for example, um, well, you're gonna write the first side of the D first. And so in the, the first side of the cell that you come to, you're gonna put a, top, a, a dot in the, the topmost position because that's the beginning of D. And then the second side of the cell the same, that you come to, you're gonna put dots, you know, the first and second dots, because that's the second side of a D. So just think of each character, what's the first side, what's the second side, what's the first side, what's the second side. And okay. so you don't need to, to make them backwards, you just need to do them in the right order. Yeah, that does make more sense. I just obviously you know I've been doing it myself so and I've just been trying to figure it out so that's yeah that's great and then so once you've done your d then you come to so the first the side of the next cell and the next letter you, go, you just think think of the first yeah. side of it then the next side second side of it yes still going to take some practice um <laughs> how long would you say it takes for people to get the hang of doing this oh gosh is there any sort of <laughs> i don't know that there's any sort of i mean i i think a few months might not be unrealistic right okay just to give me some sort of head start, that's great <laughs> try to try to braille a bit every day and uh that's that will do that will really help yes yeah i have to um remind myself to try the frame as well and not just stick to the um electronic one mm-hmm I, I find that with learning anything new is is making sure that it's in your sort of metaphorical um, eye line, you know, so that it's like at the side of your bed or on your favorite coffee table where you have your, you know, your cup of tea or whatever, or you know, somewhere where you're always going to encounter it. You know, when I was trying to learn a little bit of guitar a few years ago, I kept the guitar, much to the annoyance of my wife, I kept the guitar next to my bed. So in the morning, when I sat up on the edge of the bed, I just lift the guitar and I would have, you know, 10 to 15 minutes. Guitar. 
well, yeah, wait till she goes in the shower. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, making sure that it's, if you've got to go and get, if it's in a drawer somewhere and you've got to make the effort to get up and go and find it and find the paper and all the rest of it, if you, if you get it all set up somewhere where you know you're going to be, or, you know, obviously when we come out of, of lockdown and you're moving about a bit more, keep it in your handbag so that if you're waiting for a bus or a train or something, you've got a few minutes to kill. You know, those in-between moments <laughs> can be a great time to learn a new skill. I did have a question, but I got distracted when I was to uh, what you were saying, Jess, because I was thinking actually when I've been using the slate for a while, often if I'm out and about doing what you're suggesting, which is like trying to do it on the go, I end up thinking, I end up having difficulty with the reading, not the writing. I find it more easy to get confused and start reading things back to front rather than the other way around. But anyway, um, I was going to ask you a question about the, the, the more novelty items in your collection. So you said you've got a, 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 a frame specifically for spreadsheets. I wondered if you could maybe uh, explain that a bit more, what, what the differences was. I, I, and then do you have any other items that are for very particular purposes, which might be quite interesting? Oh, I have one. I have one for, for writing checks, which was kind of interesting. Huh. It has um, a couple of lines of Braille, and then it has cutouts so that you can put a paper check into this frame and write print in these cutouts and then in all, the right um, braille, in all the right places and then and then put a bit of braille on it as well so that it went back in the days when they came back from the bank you actually knew which checks were coming back and that, i actually used one like that for years and it was was really really nice um the the bookkeeping one is huge it's a it's a probably oh um two feet long maybe in four lines but it, it has spaces so it'll have four or five cells and then space and then two cells and then more space and then five cells and space and two cells and then one cell i don't know what they had in mind for that i think i have a booklet somewhere that describes how to do this but um just for for some specific kind of bookkeeping mm. that was taught and then I have eight dot slates for Japanese kanji. I have eight dot slates for a Spanish music code called Ebru. Um, and I also have slates for um, a code called Baloo, which isn't technically Braille, but they had this nine and ten dot high uh, continuous line of dots that was used for writing print, making print letters. Those are those are very very old. Right. I've got one more question. If that's okay with um, with Dave, because we've been sending out some of those Janus slates uh, uh, recently to people, and some of the responses we've got back are, are that people might be finding it quite difficult or quite tiring. And I wonder if you've got an opinion not so much on the frame but on the stylus, because it feels oh, which stylus? Which stylus? Which stylus is it? One of those flat ones. It's one of those flat ones with an indent, and I just think I wonder if we yeah. might be better yeah. off finding ones with a re really big bulbous wooden end to them, and then shipping those out instead because it can be really tiresome, doesn't it? I don't. I person. I personally don't like that stylus, and I personally don't like plastic slates. So, I think uh, between the two things, it, it is. But that chandelier is made out of fairly decent plastic, at least. Um, but the stylus, I, I, I wouldn't write with a flat stylus for any length of time at all. 
And what, what sort of stylus do you prefer? I use the American kind of rounded ones, but, um, but the old R&IB ones would be, are fine too. Oh, remember the peg top slate, uh, the stylus and the mushroom stylus. And I've, got one, I've got one from the NFB, which is a screw in. For, it's, oh, yeah. It's yeah. Flight, flight stylus. Where you, it's like a sword stick. Mm. <laughs> Do you find it's easier to write on really on a, a full size um, frame as well? Like an eight, at least no, I don't think I don't. I don't think it's any easier to write on a full size frame, and it's a lot harder to carry it around. Mm. Going to be going to Terry-Ann. I'm really. I never thought about slates from other countries. Um, I have a number of styluses or styli. Is that the plural of I don't know. Uh, but I, I'm really intrigued by all these different slates, so I'm going to have to do some more homework about that. Do you have a book out regarding the various different slates? And if not, have you thought about writing one? <laughs> I, I haven't. Um, and no, there's not, a, there's not a book out about the slates, but uh, I don't know that it'd be a huge number of people interested. A few of us would be very interested, but... Uh, I uh, I don't know that National Braille Press would uh, let me do that one. Yeah, I get it. And my other question is, I started learning with the Perkins Brailler first when I was three and a half back in the late 50s. And then I, in fourth grade, started using the, um, the slate. And then there's always this argument um, about should you learn the slate first or should you learn to read uh, to write with the Perkins Brailler first and of course I I've always said that you should learn with the Perkins Brailler first but there are a lot of people out there who feel just the opposite that you should learn with the slate first and then the Perkins and so I wonder if you have any uh, uh, thoughts about that yourself. Well, I know how I did it, and, and I, I went to the School for the Blind in St. Augustine, Florida, when I was in the first grade, back in the late 50s, and I started learning the Perkins Brailler, and it was at Christmas time when we were all about to go home for Christmas vacation, and our teacher handed out these slates and said, okay, this is a way you can write Braille by hand. Here's how you do it. You, you start at one end and you, you write, write the way, just the way you've been writing on the Perkins. Have a good time. Merry Christmas. And, <laughs> and we took these, I took the slate home. And I was so happy to show my brothers and my parents and my friends that I could do something. You know, I actually learned something in school. Look at this. I can write in this code that I'm learning how to read, and this is the way I read, and this is the way I, I showed it to everybody. I probably bored everybody to tears, but I remember just showing off that thing everywhere I went. I practiced so much over Christmas vacation, just, just showing it off. And, but it really, it really motivated me because I, I didn't have a Perkins Brailler at home and we didn't take them home for years. So it was a, it was a way to keep up with Braille uh, what, Christmas and summers you know, in, the, in those early years. David and Janice, we're going to be coming to you in a second. So you should get a message on screen. And Ben, how are we, uh, how are we looking that's on the for hands? Now. Okay. Uh, so yeah, that's great. So David and Janice. You're, you're actually already unmuted, so you're good to go. Um, I was educated using slates or what we called writing frames. 
Yeah. And uh, by the time I finished education, Perkins were still just a glint in somebody's eye. But the, the thing that I remember now that you've been talking about is doing algebra by topping and tailing the paper, by <laughs> writing on the one side, turning over down to the bottom on the other side, so that you're supposed to read your working. I never understood it then. I don't understand it now. But um, never, nevertheless, one of the things that, that strikes me as you're talking, um, I know that it slates your interests. I wonder if you're encouraging anybody to look at Braille writing machines, because there were some very strange writing machines. Um, one was called a pike, which... Oh, the pike glazer. Yeah. Yes. It, 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 it was better than the Perkins, at least. Or it was bigger. Though. I, you said it was. It was uh, big. Uh, yes, it was heavy. You needed three men and a boy to, to move it, I think. But there were stains base and reverse stains base. Oh, yes. And the lavender writer and the lion's note taker, which is an, a, did the role, did a tape. A roll of paper tape. Yeah, it was a dreadful. I never liked to lie. I, we got it free, but I certainly wouldn't have paid for it. But being a good Scot, I don't like paying for anything. Um, but if you've got somebody who would look at the Braille writing machines, I think that would be somebody could make quite a, a, a go of that. I, I, I agree with you. I think if somebody ever really put their efforts to developing a very easy to use, convenient, nice, flat, you could actually slip it in a bag or something, um, mechanical braille writer, I, I think there would still be a lot of interest because even those of us who use electronic devices, you know, we still need to write something down on a piece of paper from time to time. There's been a couple and, of attempts, uh, <laughs> haven't there? There was the Jotter Dot a few years ago. I don't oh, remember that. that. Was, it was that like was a whole such bunch. a disaster. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and it's a shame because, I mean, they were, that's, that's exactly what they started out to create, but it, it, it just didn't work very well. No. No. Well, one. Uh, it, it, it's just one of those things. It, it's, it, it was part of the, the evolution, isn't it? And... Uh, these days, I only use, or mainly use, just a single line guide for writing diametric labels to stick on our jars and tins and things. Mm -hmm. I have a Perkins Brailler, and I, I still use that quite often. Yes. Like daily. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, the, I'm the younger part of the partnership. So I started off with a Brailler, and I really not very good with the frame because some, some frames have very flat sides and it's hard to know where the dot should go in so oh. um i i tend to take the easy option if i want something done on a frame i get david to do it <laughs> that's convenient and um i would go for i i tend to go for the brailler if i want to write like i might write christmas cards but occasionally the only way of doing a Christmas card that needs brailing is to use a frame because you can't get it in the Perkins. But it can be hard work. Pushing through thick paper with a 
with the Perkins doesn't always work. But I do find the same frames with very flat sides, knowing where the dots have to go. Those are difficult. I, I certainly agree with you. And, and yeah. uh, a lot of the ones that are made outside the U.S. and the U.K. Uh, don't have little notches in the sides of the cells. And, and it is very tricky to, to know where to put your stylus. Really difficult, particularly if you're trying to get any sort of reasonable speed. Yeah, a lot of people with um, greetings cards um, use Dymo uh, tape, yeah. you know, and then stick the plastic tape into the card. If you've got card that you yeah, know, is just too right. thick for a Slate or a Perkins, then that might be another option yeah. there. Well, well, yeah. Can I ask one question that's nothing to do with Slate or frames, but it's just an observation. I always wonder why um, recipe books in Braille are never produced with plastic paper opposed to paper um, paper because for the best will in the world even when you've washed your hands if your hands are damp paper doesn't last as well and you could just wipe uh, plastic paper over oh that would that would be convenient but when i think of all the complaining we had about thermoform paper yeah. um, which which was plastic but <laughs> you know, what i do i i i keep a um we call them a rubbish bag. I don't know what you probably call it a bin bag or something. Um, anyway, I I uh, I keep a large rubbish bag uh, in my kitchen, folded up next to my cookbooks, and I just slide the book into the bag and read the braille through the bag. Yeah, I just think that it would be. It just seems to me that it would keep it so much tidier. Yes. And I I totally agree with you for thermoform for just general normal reading. But for recipes, it would be so good. That's true, but that's gone by the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, something I started doing uh, recently is that I have um, an Orbit reader which has the, you know, the solid dots, so they're not sort of, you know, spongy like you get on a piece of electric display, and that reads quite well through a plastic bag. So, you know, I put that inside a sandwich bag, and you can seal that you know so no flour or anything else can get in there and that's really quite easy to read through and obviously because it's a recipe and you're only you know going to it uh, to read a little bit at a time you know the, the speed or the noise or anything like that are really not you know issues for for that use case so um that's uh, another well, I, I think because the pins are, uh, are solid and they're, they're not spongy um, uh, and the Braille is, I say they're quite high compared to other Braille displays I've used. So it means that, because I was imagining reading through a, you know, a, a bin bag or a rubbish bag, reading hard copy Braille. And, and I guess for me, it would need to be a really thin uh, bag or, I, or I, I think I would struggle to feel the Braille through there but I guess I that think, maybe comes from I practice. I can vaguely remember and I can't even remember why but you used to have like these sleeves that you used to put your finger in for reading braille like a little almost like a hand puppet and I've no idea why I why people ever learned to, to do that. Yeah. So, Was that not to stop people who could see looking at the dog? Maybe. <laughs> no, no, yeah anyway that was just my observation. 
Brilliant. Well, thank you very much. Good right to hear you both. We are out of time. Uh, so thank you, everybody, for all your fantastic uh, questions, mostly about slates. And I, I, we, we, we thought slates might be the most um, kind of popular aspect of your, your work, Judy. But I, I did feel it was important to kind of share uh, your books and, and uh, your other work you. um, as well. You know, at the Brailleist, we we are about trying to get more people excited about Braille and interested in in Braille. Have you got any any advice for us? Any final thoughts? How do we, um, you know, not just preserve but spread and and enable Braille to to really flourish going forward? Well, we have to give people a reason to want to do it. I mean, it's it's it, it's got to be practical and relevant. And I think we need to allow people to use uncontracted Braille. And um, I, I will say here and now, I think the Braille code is too difficult. I think it's the rules are really complicated. And I think if Braille was easier to learn and, and there was more uncontracted Braille available, that uh, it might be appealing to some people. Dave Williams and the rest of the participants of Stay Safe, Stay Connected in conversation with Judy Dixon. And a reminder that Judy's Braille Frame collection can be found at www.brailleslates.org. That's Braille Slates, plural, dot org. If you have any comments about this episode of Brailcast or would like to suggest a topic for a future edition, then please do email us. The email address is news at brailcast.com. However, that's all for this episode of Brailcast. So on behalf of everyone on the team, thanks for listening and bye for now. Bye.